Part Four of Old Hampshire Vignettes by Lenoe Falconer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Four, Chapters Sixteen through Twenty. Sixteen, the farthing. Having boasted of the high standard of cleanliness in the valley, it is grievous to acknowledge another marked exception to this admirable rule. When he first come, observed the cook of the modest establishment in which he figured as gardener, I thought he was a dark young man, but on Sunday, when he washed his face, I see he was a fair young man. This was not the only picturesque comment that the new gardener provoked from his fellow-servants. He was pronounced by the groom to be eleven pence three farthings short of a shilling, and this phrase, repeated in the drawing-room, was felt there to so happily portray the intellectual calibre of the subject of this sketch that he was ever afterwards spoken of as the farthing. During his short stay with the family from whom these reminiscences have been called, it was less by his talent for horticulture than by his religious views and his love affairs that he impressed them. Miss Julia, whose bedroom was over the kitchen, complained of being roused earlier than she desired by the hum of a voice below, uninterruptedly declaiming. "'What is that noise?' she asked a little handmaid one morning. "'It is only Thomas, ma'am. He comes in at breakfast, and do go on so, it tires any one to hear him, saying that nobody has any religion but hisself, and that he is the only one that is saved on the theme of his engagement the farthing if more genial was equally tedious a love-story as we know is almost invariably received with indulgence especially by women but even their patience was exhausted by the pertinacity of the farthing's confidences perhaps too their sympathy was a little chilled by his extravagant praises of his love maria a being according to him so eminent for every grace and virtue that one marvelled in the end that she had fixed her eyes far more her choice on so insignificant and dingy a little suitor to every advantage of mind and person she added many notable accomplishments like desdemona she was both delicate with her needle and an admirable musician her lover said that she could sing beautifully as well indeed as miss julia herself a comparison which to that young lady herself seemed a lamentable anticlimax but in the kitchen gave mortal offence as a piece of insufferable presumption the event of the day for the farthing and indeed for all his fellow-servants owing to that openness of character already mentioned was the arrival of the post it contained or it did not contain a letter from maria if it did not then the house or at least the servants domain therein resounded with bewailings and touching messages were conveyed to the drawing-room to learn if by any chance the letter had been overlooked in the bag if on the contrary he received a letter from maria its contents were shared with the whole household in a manner possible only to characters sturdily independent of sympathy and support the farthing reading aloud one of these love-letters to the groom who without semblance of attention except a contemptuous curl of his upper lip steadily pursued his work of cleaning and hissing 
this was a spectacle to move with envy those supersensitive temperaments who are always at the mercy of their audience if it is asked how with all these preoccupations his gardening progressed it may be frankly acknowledged that it progressed very little the time however was that slack season when there is least to do in the gardens fortunately in this special case for its owners as the farthing's energies were further engaged in the business of preparing a house for his bride an undertaking rendered all the more serious by his pleasant notion of constructing the furniture himself quite undeterred by the fact that carpenters are made not born and that he had had no opportunity of becoming one still the reward of self-approbation was his when the work was finished if that is a term which can be rightly used here for its most conspicuous quality was its lack of finish that and a general unsteadiness the chairs and tables rocked at the slightest touch and neither stood on all four legs at once whilst in the still more astonishing chest of drawers he manufactured each drawer stuck out of its socket at the strangest and most untidy angle yet the farthing not only contemplated his handiwork with delight but invited all his neighbours high and low to do the same how poor maria relished the bower thus prepared for her remains unknown with her coming and his marriage a change came over the farthing a change which though deplored by more frivolous spirits was welcomed by the elder members of the family to whom it seemed desirable that a well-paid gardener should produce something more substantial than food for constant merriment he became a more useful and less amusing person and the last anecdote preserved of him only records how at a servant's christmas party he extorted the admiration even of his detractors by playing the flute with his nose seventeen little jeff into the same modest establishment the farthing had adorned little jeff made his entrance a stable-boy he was then very small and young and had not yet developed that self-confidence for which he was afterwards noted this diffidence however was at times so expressed as to be liable to be mistaken for a very different quality when in answer to an invitation from miss julia to attend her children's christmas party he wriggled shrugged his shoulders and observed in a reluctant tone he did not mind this reply was not instantly recognized as a form of rapturous consent however could you speak to miss julia so cried the cook she will never let you come to her party now whereat he subsided into tears i couldn't help it he sobbed i didn't know what to say i bain't accustomed to speak to queens and lords he was present at the feast and there proved a delightful because so unsophisticated a guest to whom everything provided was a surprise and a delight even the lollipop in the folds of the cracker with time his terror of queens and lords or those whom he was pleased thus to entitle entirely disappeared and when he left to better himself he was kind enough to say he had improved a lot when i come here was his argument i did not know how to speak to a lady now i speak to miss julia quite well to these conversational advantages he did not in after life do remarkable credit 
A trustworthy stableman he was always, but no one ever ascribed to him any striking graces of mind or of manner. The foundation of a beautiful demeanour, as defined by Emerson, he did indeed possess, in a self-reliance which nothing ever shook, not even the sudden transition to a new and unfamiliar sphere, when once at his master's shooting-box, in a case of emergency, he was called in to wait at table. Miss Julia, being present at this small and, fortunately, unceremonious dinner, had the good fortune to be a spectator of her protégé's bearing under these trying circumstances. It was kindly as it was composed, and his sympathy with the company's enjoyment of the very simple fare provided was only tempered by some anxiety, lest by what he evidently considered their intemperate indulgence in the first course they should imperil their enjoyment of the one, and only one, that was to follow insomuch that while beef and potatoes were still on the board, he called out in a voice of affectionate warning, "'There's asparagus comin'!' Nor was he the least disturbed when his mistress called his attention, somewhat severely, to the huge finger-marks upon the tumbler he had placed before her. "'La, ma'am,' he cried reassuringly, "'tis only my hot hand!' Eighteen, Granny Hobbs in living-rooms decorated with portraits and aglow in the evenings with radiant little lamps old people would discourse musingly of the days of their youth when photography was unknown and the light of the cottage and indeed sometimes of the manor-house was a rush or a dip a curious commentary on the children's critical notice of the menu at school feasts were these reminiscences of their grandparents these glimpses of a time when the daily fare of the cottagers was bread and potatoes flavoured on high days and holidays by scraps of bacon or dripping when sugar was a luxury and the now indispensable tea was at six shillings a pound a cordial reserved for invalids then indeed there was no money to spare for artificial flowers or feathers or other flummery too sparingly was it paid too hardly was it earned granny hobbs could remember how at eight years old she herded pigs and geese in such weather that the icicles fringed her bonnet and her mother worked so long during the day at harvest time she was often up nearly all night to do her washing and cooking do you mind the time of the mobs asked another granny forgetting the age or rather the youth of the visitors they was terrible times to be sure there wasn't a night but you saw the ricks burning somewhere and then the mobs come about i can remember the day the mob came along the road to go to the mansion i can seemingly see them now yes at the lodge we lived at the lodge and mother she says to me you go and open the gates for them and then come in don't he bide out so i did and they come and what they called the ringleader he come into the house and my she was frightened she didn't know what he might do he had a great big bludgeon in his hand and so they all had every one of them bless you and he says missus where's your husband and she says he's up at the house no he says he is here and she said no he's never at home in the day he's up at the house i'll see that he says and he goes right through and my poor grandmother she sit there by the fire 
so old she couldn't see nothing only hear what he said and she was so frightened she said oh meester don't he pray hurt me or my daughter nor the children for he can't help nothing and he come up to her i can mind it so well and he says don't you fear granny we want to hurt you but we want all the men you see for the times is a goin to be changed and can you change them do you think she asked ay that we shall he says everybody shall have cheese and meat that can hardly get bread now in the fading afternoon one went home musing over the wrongs that could have spurred to violence a leader who even in his wrath remained tender towards the weak the sound of clinking spades came from the beautiful village gardens and through the misty air rang the voices of playing children blooming children in frocks and brisk white pinafores from cottage after cottage the issuing film of smoke proclaimed that the kettle was singing for five o'clock tea outside the baker waited with piles of amber-tinted loaves fresh and fragrant from the oven the butcher's less alluring cart was not absent for good or for evil the words of that unconscious prophet had come true nineteen jane and me the devotion of woman to woman still incredible to many was in early youth made familiar to many of us by the spectacle of jane and me since then we have lived to see other examples in loftier stations in more lettered circles but perhaps the first was the most convincing because presented on so humble a stage by actors so simple for the leading scenes were a kitchen and a pantry where jane was a housemaid and me was a cook it will be easily divined that me's peculiar name had not been the gift of her godparents at her baptism much later in life she had acquired this title quite unintentionally by her continual use of the phrase jane and me when other people jane especially included would simply have said i jane and me feels the heat jane and me likes batter pudding jane and me would like to go for a walk and so on from morning till evenings from christmas to midsummer whilst the position of the pronoun as well as its from a grammatical point of view indefensible case so exactly represented me's place and part in the duet that it was adopted and save in her presence employed by all who knew her best for in hampshire valleys as in parisian courts the game of friendship it would seem is played much the same with one who receives and one who renders and here the last was undoubtedly me not of course absolutely or entirely jane was not wholly lacking either in good nature or affection she paid her share and if not so large as me's it should be weighed in the balance with the widow's might for every one does not like me overflow with almost unlimited devotion fewer still can dethrone the tyrant ego in favour of another as she contrived to do and this without any of that ascetic renunciation that is often and needfully prescribed for the moral athlete me's self remained unimpaired ginger was still hot in her mouth and cakes if not ale were still sweet she partook of such good things and entirely enjoyed them 
but not till Jane had first been served and satisfied. This kind of attitude is not so common in the world as to pass unnoticed, but what even more impressed the beholders, especially those young in experience as in years, was that Jane, not me, should play the first fiddle. For me was unquestionably the superior. To begin with, it is obvious to the most democratic mind that a cook is more important than a housemaid, as well as less easily to be found and the mere fact that me filled and very creditably filled such a post was the proof of a degree of intelligence and capacity to which jane did not even pretend in the matter of looks it was the same that jane was clean and wholesome-looking was the best that could be said of her whereas me was pretty and would have been lovely if her face had finished as well as it began besides the golden-brown hair and fair skin of a true blonde she had large blue eyes and a delicate aquiline nose while to preserve intact their charm she had been endowed with a graceful and useful accomplishment almost entirely peculiar to the heroines of romance she could cry becomingly her eyelids did not swell her nose did not redden her transparent skin remained untarnished while the dew on her cheek, the tremor of her lip, imparted to her homely little face an unaccustomed touch of refinement and sweetness. As to the even weightier matter of personal charm, Jane was not without her own, so grateful in an age of scurry, the solid repose that hardly anything can disturb. But even the pleasing effect of this has its limits. Though soothing, it is not endearing unless accompanied by some more distinctly amiable quality or some show of interest in others and their affairs and in anything of the kind jane was strikingly deficient in the hour not precisely of pain or sickness but of discomfort or anxiety of the small emergencies of daily household life when me's light shone like a beacon jane's was apt to disappear altogether the help that was eagerly proffered by me had to be as eagerly extorted from jane only by persistent ringing was she drawn to the field of action at all and only by equally persistent vigilance was she there retained meanwhile her whole demeanour expressed disapproval rather than sympathy and it was plain that the question uppermost in her mind was not for instance how the delayed mr a was to catch his train or the rain-drenched miss b escape a cold but how long jane's next meal must be deferred or her usual time of repose curtailed by the untimely carrying to and fro of luggage or hot water in the end it was usually me who with sublime indifference to the privilege of place herself filled the breach with cans or portmanteau and unfailing good will but in the source of this unwinning trait lay the secret of jane's advantage over the quicker-witted better-looking more attractive me a certain mixture of selfishness and stolidity against which as against stupidity the gods themselves contend in vain at least so does outrageous fortune for what are her sharpest slings and arrows to the mortal who does not feel them? 
and though occasionally displeased by small disturbances or discomforts jane was philosophically superior to more serious troubles it may be questioned perhaps if she ever had any still she was subject like others to mischances that most people would have considered misfortunes which me did so consider and vicariously bewail there was for example jane's young man to the young man himself or rather to the institution me was very far from objecting on the contrary she approved of it as well as of anything else that contributed to jane's convenience or importance everybody of any consequence kept a young man in deference to custom me herself kept one whom she used as a companion in walks and expeditions when jane was not available of this accommodating person little was heard or known though much might be inferred as to his patience and humility from the manner in which he was treated strikingly different was the case of jane's young man it is difficult to imagine that any human candidate for such an office would have entirely satisfied me judge then her feelings when by that perversity of fate which delights in incongruity the impassively steady jane attracted and accepted the unsteadiest young man in the village whom me in a burst of exasperation once aptly described as a trumpery fellow nor did his good luck greatly improve him like all trumpery characters he was persistent neither in good nor in evil and in the annoyance they occasioned to others his conversions were as bad as his relapses he was forever getting into scrapes and then having to be got out of them by his relations with a great expenditure of money and of trouble as well as with storms of emotion whose reverberations echoing through the village could not but be heard by the lady of his heart and her housemates at such times her tranquillity perforce inspired respect no recollection of the two survives more vividly in memory than the picture of jane pensive but composed sewing placidly in the pantry and of me in the scullery vigorously scrubbing her pans while bathed in the tears we have already described and shaken like a child by sobs why cook what can be the matter tis jane's young man he have got drunk again twenty snares in deep-set lanes that skirt the well-fenced coverts we used to meet snares in a brown velveteen coat with an old muzzle-loader over his shoulder and in his eye the sparkle of satisfaction with which a professed raconteur marks the approach of an audience this sociable feeling was rarely reciprocated the dull and subordinate position of a listener is one to which the human mind can only be reconciled by some touch of the dramatic or at least the unexpected and of this there was not even the semblance in snares interminable discourses on one invariable theme in the days of his youth he had been servant to a local squire a soldier and a great authority on sport whom snares simply designated as the old colonel what the old colonel did what the old colonel said what he liked or disliked what he approved or disapproved snares was forever informing an indifferent 
and impatient generation and as all roads are said to lead to rome so every conversation with him whatever might be the opening theme imperatively ended with the old colonel fine day snares i find to be sure with a wind in the southwest just such weather as the old colonel could not abear with this putrid wind he'd say there's nothing whatever to be done so i shall pack and go to london and straight off he'd go you may depend on it to his mansion in darset place yes go he would and never come back till and so on how are you snares thank you kindly miss julia i be middlin i be middlin i feels of the rheumatiz at times but there i bain't so young as i was when i was along o the old colonel i was a great favourite with the old colonel and but at this point miss julia like most of his hearers was compelled by pressing business to bid him good-bye and forego the continuation of this oft-repeated tale but even this way of escape was not always open at shooting expeditions for instance when snares was in his place as keeper and the sport of the day was at stake then these reminiscences provoked unholy outbreaks from the many masters whom he served in turn the shade of the old colonel was consigned to perdition or snares was discharged on the spot indeed excellent and ardent keeper though he was having exhausted the patience of every neighbouring squire he was for some time out of employment till the vicar of his parish taking pity on him engaged him as coachman engaged him however on condition that shortly proved intolerable that he should never speak till he was spoken to nor were his fortunes much mended by the return of the old colonel's grandson from foreign parts to settle in the land of his fathers once and once only did snares attend him that bright october day when the young man and his friends set forth to tramp the hampshire downs together was one of probation for muscles and for tempers as the partridges disobligingly and persistently refused to arrange themselves where they could be killed but at last after much fruitless driving and hours of weary walking through fallow stubble and covert these captious creatures were scattered in a turnip field in solemn and breathless silence the guns alone advanced upon them when high and clear rose snare's piercing voice now the old colonel whirr went the birds as they dispersed in perfect safety and then from the old colonel's grandson fell language that was neither mild nor measured well sir snares responded with dignity i was only going to tell you that your grandfather would have worked they birds a different way probably the only time that snares had a fair hearing was during the three weeks he spent at the county hospital not that the inmates of his ward were more captivated than other people by his biographical sketches but for obvious reasons they could not avoid them and nothing except chloroform could reduce snares to silence and yet at last time in his march brought him one auditor who did not fly from snares or bid him hold his peace a blue-eyed stranger young and beautiful admirably fat and nearly three feet tall he ended a triumphal progress through the village by calling with his nurse upon the old keeper sir 
said old Snares, lifting his cap from his snow white head. "I am proud to see you. You are the fourth generation of your family I've a seen, sir. I knowed your father and your grandfather and your great grandfather, the old Colonel." If any one smiled, it was not with mere amusement, as the old man bent humbly before the little child. It was the quaintest touch between the past and the present, a past that reaches back to feudalism, a present that is hurrying us whither. End of Part Four